Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. It is my honor to have an amazing guest today. His name is Dr. Akhil Palanasamy. He's an MD, an integrative medicine physician, and the author of The Paleo-Vedic Diet, a complete program to burn fat, increase energy, and reverse disease. He is board certified in family medicine, blends his Western medical training with effective holistic approaches, including functional medicine and Ayurveda, which is the traditional medicine of India. Dr. Akhil studied biochemistry at Harvard University, in fact, he graduated magna cum laude with honors in 98 with his undergrad when I was graduating with my MBA from Harvard. So we were actually there at the same time, uh, which is neat. He received his medical degree from the University of California, San Francisco, completed his residency at Stanford. He also completed his fellowship in integrative medicine with Dr. Andrew Whale at the University of Arizona and is certified by the Center for Body Medicine at Georgetown University. He then studied Ayurveda in Southern India found a powerful synergy in combining Ayurveda with the paleo diet in his clinical practice. And we're going to hear all about that today. This led him to coin the term paleo-Vedic diet, which refers to a nutrient-dense customized diet that incorporates specific fruits and vegetables, spices, intermittent fasting, and an Ayurvedic lifestyle. Dr. Akhil has been a consultant and expert reviewer with the Medical Board of California for many years. He sees patients at the Sutter Health Institute for Health and Healing in San Francisco, where he also serves as physician director for community education. Wow, you are so incredibly smart, Dr. Akhil. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, thanks, Rena. My pleasure to be here. So let's talk about your book, The Paleo-Vedic Diet. You talk about, in, in the book, you offer steps to burn fat, increase energy, reverse disease, all sounds amazing, sounds like a miracle, miracle diet. What is the key insight around which the diet is based? Uh, yes, Serena. So what I'm seeing in my clinic every day is that people are coming in, they're really struggling to figure out what is the best diet for them. And we know in nutrition that one size doesn't fit all and that every person is unique. But how do, how do you take the next step to really figure out what is the best diet for you as an individual? So that's really the focus of the Paleo-Vedic diet is um, customizing and personalizing the diet for each person. And I've found that Ayurveda has a lot to offer in this area because Ayurveda believes that each person is unique and has a unique body type and provides a lot of guidelines about exactly what to eat for that body type. And I found that that wasn't enough by itself, though. I found that when combining that with um, some other principles from the paleo world, I, I found that I was getting the best results uh, with my patients. So how does it help burn fat? Because as you know, A, obesity is a huge problem. B, one yes. of the biggest complaints that we women have is that no matter what I do, I cannot seem to lose the weight. So how is your diet? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in two ways. The first way is by boosting the metabolism. So in Ayurveda, there's the concept of the Agni. The Agni, or A-G-N-I, is the digestive fire, the engine of metabolism in the body. And so Ayurveda really focuses on keeping that as strong as possible and 
strengthening the Agni is one of the best ways to boost the metabolism and make sure that you know you are burning fat uh, consistently. And so I talk about how to improve and, and strengthen the Agni specifically so that you, your resting metabolism can be increased and you can shift to a more uh, fat burning mode. And the second thing that really helps with losing burning fat is actually clearing toxins because uh, it's not well known, but a lot of the toxins that we're all exposed to are really making us fat. And there's a pretty good research now um, showing that the environmental toxins that we're exposed to are a really significant factor in obesity, in diabetes, in cancer. Uh, but so mainly with the obesity component, um, I talk about how to detox and that helps a lot of people to lose weight as well. Can you share a couple of examples of how do you help jump up that metabolism? Sure. So the Agni is basically the, um, you know, as I said, the digestive capacity. And in Ayurveda, there's some really simple ways to boost that. So one is actually just having warm water throughout the day. So many people drink you know, iced water or iced cold uh, beverages. And in Ayurveda, that's a real no-no because it actually slightly depresses and weakens the Agni. And so just avoiding anything iced and instead having warm water throughout the day is a very simple way to uh, strengthen the Agni. Um, another way is also not having the water with the meals, but having it away from the meals at least um, half an hour before meals or two hours after meals. So making sure that you're having the water um, away from meals is very beneficial. And then Ayurveda is really huge on spices. So there are some key, key spices that really um, stimulate the Agni. So for example, ginger is one of the most powerful and you know, incorporating that as um, cooking spice, incorporating ginger tea, you know, just getting ginger in the diet is another really good way to um, strengthen and speed up that uh, metabolism. So could I infer from this that people that have poor digestion, so think gas, bloating, just maybe even IBS or Crohn's, will then have a mm -hmm. tendency to be overweight? Well, they definitely will have a weak Agni. And in Ayurveda, the Agni is the um, kind of foundation of health. So a weak digestion is the root cause of all disease. Okay. And so definitely a person with weak Agni will have a disease. But whether they get obesity or whether they get um, cancer or whether they get an inflammatory condition, um, that all depends on their doshas and other factors. So they may not all end up being you know, obese, mm -hmm. but definitely they will have a health consequence of the, the weakened Agni. So gas bloating is not just an irritant, according to you. It's the basis for illness. And so it really should be addressed. Yes. It shouldn't be ignored because a lot of us have gas bloating and we just sort of ignore it. Like, oh, I guess I should take some Tums. Or, yes. But you're saying it's take it really seriously. It is not something to be casual about. Exactly. Yeah. Because, um, you know, this is something that really should be optimal, you know, in terms of digestion and the strength of Ayurveda and of integrative medicine in general is prevention and really catching a condition before it develops into a full blown disease and, you know, more uh, serious uh, situation. So these nonspecific symptoms like uh, gas or bloating or like uh, difficulty sleeping or tiredness, you know, even though it's not a disease, uh, they, they're definitely clues that something is out of balance. And if you can work with a doctor who can help you figure out, you know, what's out of balance and 
what's really not working optimally, then correcting those imbalances can really prevent disease. And that's much better than treating it, you know, after it's uh, diagnosed. No, that makes sense. I'm going to give you a, a tough case because this literally is has been a conversation at the last Heal Circle meeting. You mentioned ginger. So one of the challenges that women, when they get to menopause, that they face is the body just starts to store more fat. I guess the, the carb metabolism isn't as high. The digestion's gone. And you're heated up anyway. So heating yeah. herbs like ginger are pretty much a no-no. So how would something like a paleovedic diet help someone in menopause that's de- who's dealing with not only fat, but heating issues as well? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And it goes to the point that um, Ayurveda is very customized. So ginger would not be recommended for someone with too much heat in their body, like a woman going through menopause um, or someone with high uh, pitta, which is the fire element, which we can talk about. So for those people, um, there's actually different spices that are cooling, but still have the effect of boosting the metabolism. So there's three main ones, which I can mention. They include fennel, cumin, and coriander. So I think incorporating the, you know, some of those three spices is a good alternative for um, women going through menopause who can't tolerate ginger. Got it. No, that's a great idea. Yeah, the FCCT is that's I've been sipping on that. Um, so the second thing you talk about is aging. It reverses aging. We all want to get younger. How does it help reverse aging? Well, the two main um, mechanisms that underlie aging are number one, chronic inflammation, and number two is something called oxidative stress. And oxidative stress basically is the byproduct of everyday metabolism, which generates free radicals. And these are why you hear in the media so much about antioxidants, because the antioxidants combat oxidative stress and then protect your cells from damage. So it's really this low-grade inflammation and damage that leads to the aging process. So in the Paleo-Vedic diet, there's a a huge emphasis on getting more antioxidants, getting the phytochemicals, and reducing inflammation through the diet, through the balance of good fats, uh, through the um, adding of spices. So the uh, program that I outlined really targets the both chronic inflammation and oxidative stress, which are the two you know key factors in aging. So that's the the way. Of, uh, of course, you can't you know prevent aging completely, but you can sort of minimize the harmful effects of it on the body and, and stay youthful as long as possible. Got it. And how does it reverse disease? So with disease, um, I want to, um, again, go back to the topic of phytochemicals, which are plant-based chemicals. That's phyto means plant. And so for um, all of us, it's the phytochemicals in fruits and vegetables that are the primary defense against disease. And what you learn through the paleo sciences is that the phytochemicals in our modern foods have declined precipitously. And that's because over the years, the, our, all our food supply has been changed and bred to be you know, much sweeter, um, much less fibrous, much more productive. And but as a result of that, the beneficial phytochemicals have been really lost, you know, because uh, uh, unfortunately, what sells the best is what's the sweetest, mildest tasting plant that doesn't have any, you know, strong flavors. And so that's uh, that's the market has responded to that. But we've lost a lot of those nutrients. And um, just to illustrate, 
there was a study which um, compared our modern supermarket apples to the wild apples from Asia, where apples used to be much smaller and you know not as sweet. And the difference in uh, nutrient density between the wild and the modern apples was really a staggering number. It was forty-seven thousand percent. Oh my god! And yeah, and uh, you, you know, of course, we would guess that you know the wild apples have more nutrients, but you would never guess that they have you know four hundred and seventy times more nutrients than a modern supermarket apple. And uh, so, in my book, I spent an entire chapter talking about uh, what exactly people should buy in terms of fruits and vegetables and how to get more of those phytochemicals in there. Um, because we can't just tell people to go eat more fruits and vegetables because if they're eating the wrong kind, then they're not getting the phytochemicals. They're really not um, reversing disease. And so the key thing with um, protecting your health is getting the most phytochemicals out of your daily diet. Interesting. And so are you a supporter of multivitamins to supplement the fact that our food source is so depleted these days? Um, actually, no. And that might surprise people because you might think multivitamin is, you know, very helpful. But most of the research, when it's looked at the effects of multivitamins, uh, there's been a lot of studies that have found that there um, really is no benefit. And I think the reason is that uh, food is really complex, you know, and uh, the vitamins and phytochemicals that are in food are really um, hard to duplicate in a pill. And uh, the um, also they're um, you know present in much uh, bigger quantities. So there's like thirty thousand different phytochemicals out there, and uh, um, you know you can only get so much in a multivitamin. So I think the the best way is really ensuring that you're getting as diverse a diet, a nutrient dense diet as you know, as much as possible, and then. Um, working with a doctor to maybe test for deficiencies and then use targeted supplements to replace just what you're lacking, maybe vitamin D, for example, or um, omega-3s. But I think the research on multivitamins is that uh, they're not necessarily helpful. Um, they're not harmful, per se, but um, that's not the best way to add value, I, I don't okay. think. Okay, got it. And do you actually believe that even something like cancer is reversible if you have the right diet and support? Well, I think um, cancer is complex because there's um, so many different types of cancer. And um, in Ayurveda, there's um, three main doshas, you know, the, which are vata, pitta, and kapha, which can be thought of as wind, fire, and earth. And in cancer, the, there's always a imbalance of all three doshas, which, um, you know, makes it the most difficult condition to treat. Uh, it's much easier if only one dosha is in balance, you know, in, which is in more in other conditions. But um, it depends on how early, you know, the cancer is caught. And I think, um, unfortunately, many oncologists don't believe there's any role for diet in cancer treatment. And I disagree with that because I definitely think there's a, a big role in integrative medicine to, you know, change the diet and, you um, for example, for certain types of cancers, a ketogenic diet, which is a high-fat, low-carb diet, would be helpful. And uh, so there's, I think, a lot that can be done with diet. It depends on the type of cancer. And it can be a part of integrative treatment, which also includes maybe surgery or radiation or whatever is needed. But I, I think uh, diet should not be excluded from that. Let's talk doshas, as you brought it up. So you've explained there's three kinds of doshas. And Tell us a little bit about it. How does someone figure out what dosha do they have and 
how does it go into imbalance? And then what do you recommend to bring it back into balance? Yes, so that's the foundation of Ayurveda is these um, three doshas. And uh, um, every person is born with a unique combination of these three doshas. And that's what determines the body type. So the vata is wind, um, pitta is fire, and kapha is earth. And the best way to figure out what you are is to complete a questionnaire. So I have a questionnaire in my book, The Paleovedic Diet, and um, I have a, also a shorter version on my website, you know, drakhil.com. And uh, great. And so that um, is um, a questionnaire gives you an initial idea about, um, you know, what is your body type and what are the patterns and tendencies you have to look at, look out for. And so the things that throw off the doshas are all the same things that affect um, our health, you know, including poor diet, uh, toxins, stress, lack of exercise, um, all those things. And the goal in Ayurveda is to return um, to your unique combination of doshas. So, for example, if a person is 50% vata, 30% pitta, and 20% kapha, then they're not trying to get all, all three to be 33%. You know, their their goal is not, uh, yeah, they're not trying to get one third of each. They're actually trying to get back to their unique balance of 50% vata, 30 pitta, and 20 kapha because that's their optimal, actually. And so once you determine your body type, then there's strategies to get back into your unique balance, which is different for each person. Got it. Any specific recommendations on how to get back into balance? Yes. So with Ayurveda, it's all individualized. So for example, if somebody has um, vata as their primary dosha and they have a you know excess of vata, then what's recommended is actually um, avoiding raw foods. So for such a person, salads would be forbidden. You know, they should only have cooked foods. They should only have um, like warm and hearty foods like stews and soups and um, not do anything dry. Um, and then and how do you know yeah. that your vatas, what are some of the symptoms of a auto balance vata? So with, um, Ayurveda, it's all about the qualities. Um, so with vata, that's uh, wind, you can think of the qualities of wind, which are light, cold, and dry. So somebody with too much vata would have those same qualities. They might have, uh, uh, lost a lot of weight and be, you know, really light. They might have very dry skin, very dry hair, very dry digestion, which in Ayurveda is translated to constipation. Um, and um, they might be very cold as well, you know, feel cold all the time, um, never be able to warm up um, and have a lot of mental restlessness and just like wind, you know, not be able to stay still, always moving from one place to another. So those are some clues that a person might have a vata imbalance. Well, yeah. Yes, definitely insomnia could be a problem. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that goes with vata. So it's different for each dosha, and then you can, there's a different um, uh, regimen for each dosha to bring that into balance. Got it. And what about pitta? So pitta is uh, fire, and so somebody who's got too much pitta um, often, you know, feeling hot all the time, they might be sweating profusely, um, excessive appetite, sometimes heartburn, irritability, they may have um, inflammation, which is one of the uh, signs of excess pitta. Mm -hmm. um, so their 
uh, treatment would be the opposite of a vata person. Um, they would be recommended to have raw foods and salads and, you know, much colder foods and not to have those, you know, very warm and, and heavy foods that a vata person needs. So you can see how it really varies depending on the, you know, unique body type. And what about kapha, the last one? Yeah, so the kapha person has the, you know, qualities of earth. So um, stable, uh, broad, you know, structural, structurally strong. And so too much uh, kapha can lead to lethargy, sluggishness, uh, weight gain as well. And um, sometimes, you know, sleeping too much, uh, not being able to wake up easily. And so the kapha person really needs to vary their uh, diet, vary their daily routine, um, avoid getting into stuck into the same, you know, monotonous routine every day and have more stimulating types of foods, warming spices, very stimulating types of exercise. And in fact, high intensity exercise is probably the best for kaphas. Um, and so just really kind of stimulating and um, getting more activated is the best way to counteract uh, too much kapha. Now you mentioned that cancer is an imbalance of all three. Wow, that, that yes. would be very difficult to fix because it almost sounds like the treatment for pitta and vata, for example, as you share, are literally the opposite of each other and throw in a kapha and now you've got um, a, a big pot of stew. How, how do you balance all three out and why would they all three go yes. out of balance to begin with? Well, they don't um, all go out of balance at the same time. You know, it's the it's a, it's usually a sequential thing. And uh, you know, cancer is like um, we know about a seven or eight step process in terms of how it finally manifests. So, and uh, a couple of those steps could be you know, first you might get out of balance with pitta, then you know, steps three or four, the vata goes out, and finally the kapha goes out. And so, if you're working with a practitioner, you know the he is always finding what is the first priority. And that might be, for example, the pitta dosha, because the person has those symptoms most prominently. And so you tackle them one by one in terms of um, targeting each dosha. And then you sort of um, work in stages and, you know, stepwise in terms of treatment. Is there a single herb that helps bring balance to all three doshas? Or is there a particular food as an example? Or is it completely different depending on which dosha you're trying to solve for? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there are some um, herbs which are considered tridoshic, meaning that they do balance all three. Um, they're not a large number, but uh, I do think turmeric is a good example. That is, uh, that is one that is tridoshic, that's good for all the doshas and, you know, recommended to have every day, you know, for, for most people. Um, and in terms of foods, the the one food that's sort of universally recommended in Ayurveda is the kichari, which is the rice and mung bean um, dish with the lentils. And in my book, I modify it to make a masala kichari, which has the spices and vegetables in addition to the lentils and the rice. And so that's like a universally um, healing food that could work for everybody depending on what you know dosha they have you know i'm sitting here having this conversation with you and i am just fascinated that someone with your background sort of conventionally trained harvard stanford and we're having this conversation about ayurveda how did you move from sort of pure conventional medical practice to moving into embracing ayurveda and the integrated practices 
how, how did that happen? And yep. Why do you follow it and why do you recommend it? Yeah, well, it um, started out uh, through an interest in yoga, and that was what I began practicing when I was in college and, you know, very stressed out. And, you know, as you know, Harvard is like a high pressure environment. And yeah. so it was um, yoga that really helped me to sort of uh, manage my stress and, you know, function well and, and get through it optimally. And then when I started medical school, then I became interested in the healing sciences of yoga. And then that got me into Ayurveda. Um, and then ultimately, I, it ended up with my own um, illness experience where I fell really sick during medical school and had to take a year off, was disabled, you know, unable to uh, work or study. And uh, it was, um, yes, yeah, a very difficult uh, time. And um, at that time, you know, Western medicine only had drugs and, uh, you know, medications and uh, physical therapy, but nothing really addressed the root cause or helped me to recover. And Ayurveda was one of the key things that helped me to get better and, you know, recover my health and um, get back to uh, get back to school. So I really appreciated the impact of Ayurveda in my own health. And that really inspired me to study it so I could help others. Wow, thank you for sharing that story. Now, why do you believe you fell sick? Was it external circumstances? Or do you think stress played a role as well? Stress, diet, lifestyle? And the reason I ask is, we're yeah. seeing more and more illness in younger and younger kids. Uh, my yes. friends, my system, my daughter's, my daughter's uh, friend's sister passed away a couple of days ago of cancer. And so when you mm. lose someone around mm. you at the age of 21, it just makes you pause and think. And I know a lot of teens who have severe gut issues. And I just, I keep thinking, what are we doing wrong? Why are kids getting so sick? Your given your mm -hmm. personal experience in undergrad or in grad school, what do you what do you believe was the, was the driver? Yeah, I think um, definitely um, diet was a really big factor, and the lack of time to really prepare healthy food, and you know, eating too much processed food, and also eating a diet that was uh, wrong for my body type. Mm -hmm. So um, in my um, you know, college days, I became vegetarian and for several years was uh, strictly vegetarian and um, not eating, you know, much protein. And uh, I um, later came to realize that that was not the right thing for my Ayurvedic body type. And uh, when I started um, reintroducing a little bit of animal protein and a little bit of meat, then that made a huge difference, you know, in my diet. So um, that's why I emphasize so much that figuring out the right diet for your body type and um, making sure it's you know personally right for you, for each person is is key, and then now for um, young people, I think that there's so many. It's like a perfect storm of factors. You know, not only is it the too much sugar in the diet and the processed food and the lack of these phytochemicals which protect them, but it's other factors like the overuse of antibiotics. Uh, you know, that's uh, uh, very common now in childhood because so many kids are. We have weakened immune systems and they're, you know, getting strep throat and ear infections all the time. So they're on antibiotics all the time. And uh, and then you add to that the lack of um, sunlight exposure, the lack of physical activity and the um, kind of high stress pressure cooker environment that, you know, that our children are uh, exposed to. And it's like the perfect storm of factors that leads to all these diseases. Wow. It's, it's definitely very tough, I think, being a teenager 
in this day and age. And I, I hope we sort out sort of the amount of pressure we put our, our teens under. And I hope we sort out the, the food situation as well. So in your yes. practice, what are some of the top diseases that you work on or you focus on? I mean, clearly the Paleovedic diet um, talks a lot about both weight loss and, and reversing diseases. But in your personal experience, which what would you say are the top two or three diseases or illnesses that you've had great success with? And can you share any case study? Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. I think the probably top two would be, um, number one would be autoimmune diseases. And um, these are diseases where the body's immune system attacks itself, you know, like uh, um, hypothyroidism, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, multiple sclerosis. So there's many different types of autoimmune disease, but they all have the same mechanism, which is the immune systems out of balance. And the second category is in digestive issues like uh, irritable bowel syndrome and uh, colitis and this kind of thing. So I could um, share a case of, of someone who was a, a nurse who worked at my local hospital. She was about 55 and she came to me because she, she was obese. She, she was about 30 pounds overweight and she was also dealing with a thyroid issue that was um, just... Uh, it was mild, so it wasn't enough where her doctor would able was able to prescribe her medication, but it was like just out of the normal range. And so she um, saw her conventional doctor who just who told her that uh, everything's fine and there was nothing he could do now. But if she waited a few years and came back, then her thyroid would be worse. And then at that point, he prescribed her a drug, you know, so just wait until you get worse, come back and I'll prescribe you a drug. So she was not, <laughs> she was not satisfied, you know, with that. And so she came to me and she wanted to use Ayurveda to work on her thyroid. Um, her kapha was the dosha that was most out of balance, you know, the obesity, the sluggishness, the fatigue, it was all manifesting in her. And so we, I put her on um, kapha balancing diet and uh, also um, an Agni stimulating program, um, had her incorporate a lot more spices and um, incorporating things like, you know, black pepper, turmeric, uh, red chilies, ginger, like a lot of these really warming spices. And, um, and then using a, a simple botanical blend to work on her thyroid. And then in three months, she reported that she had lost about 15 pounds. So she lost about like half of the, her goal, you know, her weight. And her energy was better where she was able to begin exercising. And we rechecked her blood work and her thyroid actually was coming back into the normal range. So it was um, not yet fully normal, but uh, it was greatly improved. And then after another uh, about three more months, so six months total, um, she, you know, had, was continuing to lose weight. She was exercising. And, um, when we did her blood work, her thyroid was completely normal. So she had, you know, reversed her hypothyroidism and, uh, lost the weight and, um, got back her energy, you know, just all through Ayurveda and changing her diet and natural, uh, techniques. That's, an, that's very impressive. Now, to what extent did she do calorie counting or how difficult was it for her to stick to the diet? Well, in Ayurveda, they, we really don't emphasize calories, you know, like um, counting calories, because the goal is really to strengthen the Agni and focus on the qualities of foods and not really get caught up in the calories. So 
you know, I, she didn't do any calorie counting. Um, she did have to give up dairy products uh, for, for a few months. And that was a, a challenge for her because, um, you know, she loved um, yogurt and cheese. And uh, but when somebody has too much kaffa, you know, it's uh, very helpful if they can eliminate dairy for at least a few months. And so she did cut out dairy products and, uh, um, you know, that helped her a lot. And so she didn't count calories, but she just started incorporating more of the kaffa diet, you know, with a lot of lighter foods, a lot of the warming spices to strengthen her agni. And uh, that was what um, really did the trick in the end, I think, working on her agni and her doshas. Sounds really inspiring. Let's talk about the gut for just a little bit more. So Crohn's, colitis, you mentioned those are, again, inflammatory diseases. You've talked about how do you, you know, how do you address the pitta piece of it? What else can you share in terms of healing gut, especially since we know the gut is so core to our well-being? Or what's your protocol? Oh, absolutely. Gut healing foods. The first food that was recommended to me by an Ayurvedic doctor about 20 years ago was actually bone broth. And that has become now a very popular thing. But actually, it's a traditional remedy from Ayurveda because bone broth is very rich in gelatin that helps with healing the gut and um, repairing something known as leaky gut syndrome and uh, very good at reducing inflammation. So that's definitely one food uh, that I recommend for the gut healing. And then second would be fermented foods. And these include um, things like yogurt, lassi, uh, sauerkraut, kimchi, uh, kombucha. So there's a lot of different um, fermented foods out there, and they each have different beneficial bacteria. And those are good for the microbiome, which is the collection of bacteria that we all have, which is you know, vital for good health and the immune function. Um, so I think um, for most people, I would recommend doing the bone broth and the fermented foods and also having prebiotic foods in the diet. So the final thing is prebiotic foods include things like um, artichoke, asparagus, um, yams, sweet potato, bananas. Um, so these are things which have uh, prebiotic fiber that also feeds the microbiome and the good bacteria. So all those things can help with them, um, you know, healing the gut. Got it. What about uh, how important is the microbiome? And if, so are there tests you recommend? How does someone even go about figuring out how does my gut look and what do I need to do to make it better? Sure. Yeah. The um, testing actually has evolved a lot and, um, so in my book, I have a questionnaire that people can um, fill out to, to assess their microbiome. So if you don't have access to a practitioner who can test it for you, you can do this microbiome assessment uh, in my book. And one of the things to keep in mind is that, you know, a healthy microbiome should be manifested in your digestion, you know, like um, no, no gas and bloating, uh, normal daily bowel movements, uh, no, uh, no tiredness after eating meals. So if any of those things are not present, it means that there's likely an imbalance in the agni, you know, and also in the microbiome. So um, it's definitely possible now, though, to do testing, and a lot of uh, functional medicine practitioners are, are doing that. Got it. What about Crohn's and colitis? Any, anything additional to add in terms of specific treatments for those two? Got, got yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and um, so... Oh, uh, generally, colitis and Crohn's are uh, involving pitta, 
you know, because of the inflammation that's going on in the intestine. And Ayurveda actually has a lot to offer for such people, uh, mainly the pitta balancing diet, you know, where they um, often uh, take out dairy products, um, eggs, and uh, sometimes gluten. And then incorporating the kitchari is often very healing, you know, for the gut. And um, finally, I think turmeric is uh, incredibly helpful. There's actually been three research studies on curcumin, which is one of the uh, main ingredients of turmeric, using that for patients with um, colitis or Crohn's and found that it was um, it helped um, lead to a 50% higher chance of remission and you know, resolving uh, flare-ups. So uh, turmeric and curcumin are incredibly helpful for, you know, for these people. So I've heard that turmeric is extremely heating. How do you reconcile the fact that apparently turmeric is very heating with the fact that it also helps someone who has a pitta imbalance? Yeah, I think that uh, you know with turmeric there is that conception that it um, that it is heating and uh, you know that's accurate. But um, when somebody has a lot of um, um, pitta, it also depends where in their body is located. So. Um, because uh, when pitta in, is in inflammatory bowel disease, it's often um, not necessarily localized to the gut. You know, the, the seat of uh, pitta might be in other organs in the body. So having turmeric to work on the gut inflammation, you know, still won't aggravate the pitta and it'll help with um, calming the overall, you know, digestive system. So uh, it's still possible to use turmeric in those cases. Got it. Got it. That's that's great. So a couple of more last questions. One is on Alzheimer's and brain. Uh, we hear that there's research that talks about the connection, the gut-brain connection. Any recommendations on how do you prevent Alzheimer's or if you're already starting to see, you know, someone who's in their 70s and starting to experience brain fog, memory loss, what do you recommend? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I actually have a a one-hour lecture on just this topic, which I can uh, tell you, the, I give you the link to, so you can post it in the, uh, you know, the notes. But, uh, but briefly, yeah, um, there's a huge connection between, you know, uh, the gut and the brain, and so having a healthy microbiome is absolutely key, and uh, making sure that you're eating the right foods, because now we know, you know, which are the foods that protect you against um, Alzheimer's, and these include things like uh, leafy green vegetables, um, blueberries, cold water fish, uh, really excellent. A lot of nuts are protective, um, as are beans and legumes, and olive oil as well. So there's a lot of data now about what is the best foods for the brain. Um, so those are some of them. And then um, all the other things that we know are vital for health, like um, you know getting adequate exercise, reducing your stress, making sure you're sleeping optimally, have all been shown to reduce the risk of Alzheimer's. And then the final point is that um, there are certain over-the-counter medications that actually raise the risk of Alzheimer's that people don't realize because they're over-the-counter, they might just take them for, you know, for years. And that actually raises the risk of Alzheimer's. And these include things like uh, proton pump inhibitors and uh, um, benzodiazepines and um, other anticholinergic medications that are available. So, um, you know, there's a bunch of things to avoid long-term use as well. Got it. Got it. This is great. One last question on detox. There's so much information these days on the web about detoxing, the importance of detoxing. I know you've touched upon it a little bit earlier in our, in our chat today. 
how critically important is detoxing and what protocol do you recommend? Yeah, so I think it is absolutely critical because um, I think that, as I was saying, the toxins in the environment are really making us all fat and, um, you know, um, affecting our blood sugar, too. There's a big connection between diabetes and toxins in the environment. And there's actually about 80,000 toxins in the environment now that have um, been, you know, been used. And a lot of them are called um, endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs. And so those disrupt our endocrine system, which are our hormones. Uh, that includes like our thyroid, our you know insulin, um, blood sugar regulation hormones, and female hormones like estrogen, progesterone. So um, that's how they really wreak havoc in the bodies by throwing off the hormones and our you know um, insulin and metabolism. So it's absolutely important to uh, detox, and I believe the best way is doing both regular daily detox and a periodic more intensive detox. And for the daily detox, I recommend a um, bunch of foods that can help. So one uh, is uh, beet greens, which are the leafy tops of the beetroot. Um, you know, yeah, the beet greens are actually one of the most powerful foods that help the liver to function well and uh, detox. And, you know, they're widely available. So uh, don't throw away the tops of the beetroot. Do you yeah. cook them or do you have them as tea? No, you can actually uh, cook them just like um, you would any kind of like spinach or anything. Um, you can cook them or eat them in a salad. They're um, they're totally fine. Um, also, turmeric is really helpful for detoxification. It helps the uh, phase two liver enzymes to you know, to work. The cruciferous vegetables like Brussels sprouts and cauliflower especially, really good for the uh, for the liver. There's another food um, known as chlorella, which is a kind of an algae that's very good for um, getting heavy metals out of the body. The, uh, you can put it in smoothies or you know those kind of things. Um, I think um, sweating in a sauna or steam room um, is also a good way to detoxify because your skin is the biggest organ and you can clear a lot of toxins through the skin you know, with, um, with sweating. And um, so there's a lot of things you can do every day like that, you know, to really um, daily reduce the toxic burden. And then periodically, uh, I recommend a more intensive detox, like uh, I talk about the paleovedic detox, you know, which is like um, twice a year, you do something much more intensive where you're cutting out, you know, more foods and then maybe taking some herbs and following a program to uh, further clear toxins. So I think the best way is a combination of daily strategies and then intensive strategies a couple of times a year. Mm, got it. You know, one of the things that I find really annoying about the media these days is there's so much information and conflicting information. Right. One of those is on lectins. And, you know, as an Indian, we grow up eating beans and lentils. And right. now there's all this information that, hey, lectins are not good. Lectins are anti-nutrients. What are your thoughts about lectins? Yeah. And, you know, that was one of my complaints about the paleo diet in the media. And that's why I wrote the book is because I think that the paleo diet does not have to be so restrictive, you know, cutting out all legumes, cutting out all grains and, you know, all dairy. Um, I, my view is that paleo should be much more plant based and much broader. And the issue with lectins is one example, because, um, you know, as long as you, you don't have any like major intolerances for legumes, um, if you're able to 
soak them overnight for about 12 hours. That will inactivate most of the lectins and phytates and other anti-nutrients. So simply soaking and, you know, um, or lightly sprouting the beans will counteract all those nutrients. And, uh, and then there's no problem with um, digesting those foods. Oh, really? Okay, so you are a supporter of including lectins as long as there's no insensitivities or intolerances. That's good to know. And nuts? Yes, yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, same thing. Yeah, same thing. I think nuts are, you know, very healthy. They, uh, I don't think they should be excluded. Um, I think with nuts, you know, you uh, you have to be mindful of the um, omega-6 content because the... Uh, um, with fats, you know, the omega-3s are more anti-inflammatory and the omega-6s are more pro-inflammatory. And so some nuts can be high in omega-6. So the, the nuts that are lowest in omega-6 are um, three that I recommend a lot, um, macadamia nuts, uh, hazelnuts, and cashews. Uh, and almonds are as well are, you know, fairly good options. So um, I have a table in my book which lists all the omega-6 and omega-3 content of nuts and every other kind of food. So I think that's an important uh, factor as well in inflammation is making sure you're not getting too many omega-6s and getting a lot of omega-3s in the diet. Now that's great. We will obviously be putting the links to all these great resources as well as how to buy your book on our show, in our show notes as well as on our website. Any additional parting thoughts, anything else to share before we wrap up? Um, yes, I, I, I think, uh, you know, we talked about um, anti-aging and so I'm um, offering, a, there's a free article I've written, which is um, Seven Ayurvedic Secrets of Anti-Aging. And uh, that's available for a limited time on my website, you know, drakhil.com. And uh, so if people register there, they can get a, um, a copy of that free article sent to them. Thank you so much. That sounds great. We will put that link as well in our show notes. And Dr. Akhil, this has been so insightful, so informational. Thank you so much for what you do. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.